Going through a divorce is daunting and can make you feel financially vulnerable. Ampla Finance can help. Unlike other loans, there's no need for any ongoing monthly repayments. You're only charged loan interest on the amount of money used to pay your solicitor's fees as your case progresses, and the easy-to-use online tool keeps you in full control throughout the process. Your loan is normally repaid in full when you reach settlement, so between now and then, you have peace of mind that the cost of your divorce won't impact your day-to-day -day needs. Ampla Finance puts you at the heart of everything they do and can help you to make the fresh start you're looking for. To find out more, click the link in the podcast description or visit www.amplifinance.com. Hello and welcome to the Smart Divorce Podcast. This podcast is for you if you're thinking of separating, already separated or going through divorce. My name is Tamsin Kane and I'm a Chartered Financial Planner. We'll speak to some fantastic specialists who can help you to get through your divorce, hopefully amicably, and start your new chapter positively. Now over to today's guest. Hi, Susan. Uh, thank you for joining me today on the Smart Divorce podcast. Um, do you want to introduce yourself first of all and tell us a bit about what you do? Well, thanks very much for inviting me along, Tamsin. I'm Susan Lee. I'm a counsellor and a hypnotherapist. I do stress management. I do relationship counselling. And sometimes people want relationship counselling even when they're wanting to break up. So there's all sorts of permutations that you can bring this into play, if you like, into people's lives, help them cope before, during and after the transition of, of something as serious as a divorce. Yeah, absolutely. So. What are the emotional reactions that people feel when they first separate? So this is where we're going to start off with in this podcast. Well, I think often the lead up to actually finally deciding that you just have come far enough can be a very wearing, disappointing journey anyway. So whether or not you've precipitated the divorce, and it's often that both people aren't in the same place at exactly the same time but whether or not you can feel a failure you can feel uh, that you've been run down depleted over a long period of time and it, it's not a sudden decision knee-jerk decision even, even though divorce is apparently so much easier these days it is often still a slow process particularly if children are involved so you find that people can be uh, perhaps feeling uh, concerned at disrupting the family, disappointing in-laws. There might be religious implications. The financial considerations often weigh quite heavily, as well as the actual emotional angst of, of breaking up the family, uh, of walking away from somebody. And initially, you got together because you loved each other and planned to spend your lives together. So that whole place from moving from joy and elation right through to this is it, I can't continue anymore, is often a a wearing, debilitating process, plus all the ramifications associated with it. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned that um, people are often in different emotional positions when they actually finally decide, um, decide to separate. What do, you, what do you usually find? Do you usually find that, that that's a male and female thing or how does that manifest itself? 
I think it can be either. I think sometimes, I think the days of the woman being at home and the man being the wage earner, that perhaps occurred 20, 30 years ago. But these days, often both people are working in whatever capacity these days. So it's not quite as the woman's beholden on the man because he's earning all the money and he's relying on her to prop the whole family edifice up. I think you often find that um, the emotional journey that the differences between the both of them are, are now that perhaps people wait till the children have left home and then they can look at each other and say often it's not uncommon for people to say who is it I'm living with because I think when in, in busy busy households you can find that people the couple have got so used to just exchanging updates and shopping lists and news and this is what we're doing instructions and then by we you know at night time they crash into bed exhausted in a weekend they're catching up on chores so I think that often you can find that over a period of time people have become uh, worn out with it all or, or they're starting to look at what the rest of their life is going to be like and sometimes you find one person has said this is it now I need to do something more special with my life and it can be that their partner is absolutely shell-shocked at the news of that they thought they were fine they were coping okay or it can be there's somebody else in the wings or it can be that one person as a consequence of being told or suspecting that their partner's moving on that they can start feeling even worse about themselves am I have I let myself go I didn't think I was that bad you know am I unintelligent am I not interesting enough what's wrong with me so we can actually go through that whole process when we're in that mode and, and thinking our partner perhaps is moving on to passages new, that can be very difficult as well. Yeah, absolutely. So would you say that it's a good idea and to wait until you've begun to deal with some of the emotional sides of it before you actually start moving into the whole divorce process? I think if, you, if you're able to do that, it's a good thing. If you're able to get some money on one side, if you're able to do some work on yourself, if you're able to start looking forward, that can be a good thing. But it can also sound quite calculating too. And many of us don't want to feel that we are being quite so calculating about, about the whole process of, of getting divorced. But often it's not a surprise. Sometimes it is. And if we are perhaps following that, look, we'll try relationship counselling, we'll go and see our rabbi or our family priest, or we'll use a neutral family friend. If they're trying to sort it out themselves, they can. it's not a surprise that it, it's coming to the end of a relationship. And sometimes couples do look at each other after 10, 15, 20 years together and say, you know what, I loved you, but I'm not in love with you anymore. And that can be um, a time where they say, there's got to be more, more to life than this. My Men will sometimes look at their careers and say, well, I've supported the family all this time. I've done really well in my job, but everything else about my life, you know, I wanted to travel America. I wanted to do all those things that I've never had chance to do while I've been with you. I really want to start doing that. Maybe a couple can start doing those things together, but sometimes they can't. And sometimes both of them aren't in the same place. And, and it's true that over a period of 10, 15, 20 years, we may have unnoticeably started drifting apart from each other and and it is time to sort of face up to the facts that we want to do more with our lives but not necessarily together 
Yeah, absolutely. I know when um, I got divorced, I definitely had that feeling um, and that feeling of failure as well that you mentioned before. Mm-hmm. And that's really difficult to get your head around. How how would you suggest people might think about starting to deal with that? Well, it's a disappointment, isn't it? We 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 got together. We we made we had all these protestations of love. We might have been in our early 20s, mid to late 20s. And we're not necessarily the same people now that we were back then. We've had children, we've had family, we've had all sorts of different things. And I think sometimes, I mean, a big question, I work if, if I work with somebody, sometimes I work with a couple, sometimes I work with them as individuals, sometimes I do the whole lot. Um, and, and often it is about saying what went wrong. Now, we all have to accept consequences of our actions, whether or not we were the driver behind the divorce. We have to take a lesson from it. A sensible person will take a lesson from any bad, difficult, traumatic experience. So whether it's a death, a loss, an ending, there's that whole process of anger, negotiation, uh, disbelief, why me? We can go through that whole cycle of grief that that is well-documented, whether it's after a death or an ending of any kind, a health situation, whatever it might be. Sometimes taking personal therapy or, or, or taking time for a reflection or taking a retreat or taking time away, where we, 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 we face some truth. What is it about me? Our, our partner may have hurled insults or abuse or may have tried to speak to us. Perhaps we can't listen. But sometimes we have to take criticism, even if we don't agree. Our, that other person's opinion of us is their opinion of us and they're entitled to it. And sometimes stopping and saying, is there any validity in this? Do I need to perhaps look at myself? Have I perhaps taken it easy for a long time? Have I let myself go? Am I interesting? Am I very different than I was way back then? Is that okay? And and so working through that whole process of perhaps a little bit of self-reflection, if it's not analysis, certainly self-reflection and learning from what we've gone through. And I always advocate a little bit of time between the ending and starting a new relationship because we have to meet ourselves again. Our marriage may have been over a long time before the divorce. And so sometimes we've had time to get used to that, that ending that's imminent, even if we're still living it, cohabiting, living in the same house. But I think sometimes we have to face up to ourselves and, and discover we can be independent and not necessarily transition from one relationship to the next, but have a little bit of a time out so that we, we get used to ourselves. We perhaps adjust our children to the new state of, uh, and situation that's happening, uh, re, reinvent ourselves, redefine our relationships with friends and family who may have had to find a side to, to go to um, in, within the couple. But we, it, it's good to have a process of, of taking time, taking stock, maybe update your image, maybe get to the gym, maybe learn a language, maybe think about finances, maybe think about setting up a little business or what would I really like to do? But this can be an opportunity to reinvent yourself and start afresh. It doesn't have to be a, a, a desperately despairing ending though we do go through that process as part of that package as well yeah I totally see that it's certainly something that we talk to clients about is the new chapter the new beginnings the opportunity to start doing things for yourself and deciding without having to um refer to another person and their hopes and dreams and desires you can uh, very much start planning your own life and, and your own future and that may involve a few mistakes. That may involve making a few mistakes and a few errors. And that's also good. 
to, to suddenly discover, I mean, talking about death, when an older couple, one of them dies, the other one suddenly realises they don't know how to sort out a financial thing or they don't know how to get the car booked in for a service. These can be the practicalities that occur as when a divorce happens too, that even if we're a modern couple, there are still often jobs and decisions that one person makes because they know what they're doing and the other says, oh, you get on with it, honey. And so it can be remembering to put the bins out. It can be remembering to, I don't know, pay the paper bill for goodness sake or whatever it might be. But but we we have to learn to find ourselves and take that time to, to stand on our own two feet and become independent and relish that. No, absolutely. I think we very often find that one person takes hold of and control of the finances, not in a bad way, just because a marriage is a teamwork, isn't it? And, and one of you looks after the finances because that's perhaps where your strengths lie so yeah we have to be be able to to do everything you know it's not like I have to sit over your shoulder and watch you do the the check the statement or whatever it or check the online banking it's a question of trust and we did trust each other and maybe that trust doesn't need to go but we're not together anymore so we're having to be independent even if both parties were reasonable and amicable about it there's still a learning curve for each person no, absolutely. So you work with um, couples or individuals when they're in this um, point of separation, when they're going through the um, perhaps what's a fearful time over finances, over children, etc. What what would people expect if they sought your help if they were in that position? Well, I would discover. Uh, we would discover together what it is they're looking for, what their particular issues are, what they're struggling with, what's come up for them. And sometimes it can be just being in a place of holding where they're just getting their act together and reminding themselves to breathe because it can be an overwhelm where I've got everything to do. You know, I've maybe got children or he or she, they they take them every weekend and they come back with loads of fantastic gifts and, they're fi- and the other person's feeling a bit bereft because they can't do that. Or it, it, it's that readjustment process, whatever that involves for each couple. So people often have to learn to readjust and adapt to that. They have to realize that a lot of things are changing. They might have lost some of their friends because they, they felt that they couldn't take sides. Or actually, interestingly, even these days, you sometimes find couples will drop a single person because they perhaps feel a little bit uneasy about that or worried or wary or whatever. So there can be all sorts of things that happen that we didn't expect to happen. We may have to focus more on our our business, our career now, and and confidence and self-esteem and self-belief and kind of do it. All these can be massive issues for people, stress, uh, grief, crying, uh, sleeping at night, all these areas can be really put under the spotlight when we're going through a, a massive change to our circumstances. And if we have to move house, or if we know at some point we're having to move house, or, or are the children staying at the same school, and uh, and how am I coping with them? So there can be a lot of, if you like, stress management type issues that come up, but it's helping that person feel better learn that they can survive, learn that they can do it, learn that they are okay about it and, and breathe through that and learn to believe in themselves and take this as a as a positive step to move forward after, you know, I didn't want it to happen. I would never want it on anybody else to happen. However, it has, I've got to get through the other side and, and part of life's journey. So that's what we're working with often with clients. 
Excellent. That sounds really good. So is it largely um, a talking process, a process of counselling, or do you, do you use the hypnotherapy in, in those circumstances as well? I often... Uh, well, I, I offer either or both. A lot of people want both uh, because the, the, the talking side can help people uh, clarify what's going on. Often when you're going through a, a divorce or a relationship ending or even just a trauma of a disruption phase where, where you don't know what the outcome's going to be. But the talking side can often help people clarify. If I'm working with a couple, I will get them, even if they're splitting up, I will get them to try to understand each other's point of view because that often gets lost in the process too. Many a time I've heard two people tell me exactly the same facts, but from a completely different perspective. So you hear the first one and you think, oh my goodness, what a horrible person your partner is. And then you speak to the partner and you realise, oh, actually, your, your nearly ex never mentioned that side of it or what that looked like for them. So, you know, we, we can get often um, two very different views, even though the facts might be exactly the same. So... There is a certain amount of perspective that needs to come into situations and talking things through can be a very important part of that process. The hypnotherapy side is a good way of addressing underlying patterns. Somebody might be saying, it's not uncommon for me to hear, um, here I go again, or it's, I'm just a bad person, or you know, I'm, I can't even do a relationship, or, or whatever it might be. And so those things may have roots in earlier negative experiences of life they may have had roots in the way they were treated perhaps in the past or, or what they witnessed maybe even a domestic home situation with their own parents so there can be lots of different things that have adhered to us have stuck to us and, and we've carried with them through our lives and hypnotherapy is a great way of addressing those underlying triggers and responses that we have but we don't necessarily know where they've come from and we may not even appreciate what we're actually doing so it's a great way of helping heal but I will I will discuss with each person individually what it is they want and that's what we actually look to work with. Oh that sounds that sounds really good so I guess there will be people who are a bit fearful perhaps of if um coming to see a hypnotherapist perhaps they've seen um, back in the and maybe I am showing my age here but back in the 90s then they used to have those programs on tv with people getting hypnotized and um, making them do daft things and so on. and I realize what you are talking about is a, a professional service to help people through situations but do you have people who have that fear over over that sort of um, therapy? I have people who wonder exactly what's going on, you know, that they'll come and see me. I get most of my clients are recommends these days. I've got somebody flying in from Germany today to see me. So we oh, get wow. people from all over, you know, I get a lot of clients coming up from London and out of the area. So at the end of the day, I think there is a greater appreciation and awareness of what hypnotherapy can be. Uh, and in fact, sometimes people say I've come specifically because I want the hypnotherapy. But yes, there can be um, an underlying concern when they actually come to that point where we're doing it that's why my first session is always two hours long because I know that in that period of time they get a fantastic opportunity to get comfortable and understand that I'm on board and that what we're doing is is an agreed process between the both of us so everything that happens is agreed in advance but actually I tend not to use the word hypnosis or hypnotherapy I tend to use the word trance because and it's exactly the same thing if you're a human being you spend about 85% of your time every day in a trance state. 
So if you're driving somewhere that you go to regularly and you're on autopilot and then you suddenly go, heck, am I here already? Or if you're wandering around the supermarket and you get to pickles and you think, oh, yes, I wanted pickles. And then you're back in a trance until you get to cottage cheese or something. (laughs) Or in a boring meeting and somebody's droning on and you're not asleep, but you're not fully awake. And if they say your name, you're instantly awake and on board. That is an everyday experience of trance. And that is a good enough state for people like me to actually work with you. So getting that just relaxed, yes, I'm miles away, daydreamer, drifty, floaty. If something untoward that wasn't agreed, that was perhaps inappropriate, happened to be said, you'd instantly alert yourself. You would be aware of it. You'd come back. But because that doesn't happen with me, people find very quickly that they can just trust the process and realize how fantastic it is. And that's why I always include a relaxation in every piece of work. But whatever happens, people always... When, when the hypnotherapy session has stopped, they finish, they go, wow, I've never felt so relaxed or relieved in my life. I feel like a weight's been lifted. And that in itself is a fantastic byproduct of having a session of hypnotherapy. Yeah, that's got to help people who are in this position where the emotional responses are coming at you all the time. You do feel very much like you're on a roller coaster. And yeah. to have that experience of relaxation must be, uh, must be fantastic. It really does help. And, and often for people, they, they say they can also say at the end of a session, I'm so exhausted. They've been sat with their feet up covered with a blanket for a, an hour or something. And they go, oh, I'm exhausted. And that's because letting go of a lot of those stress responses and your body and permanent adrenaline and you generating all that tenseness and to let all that go can be quite a tiring thing to do. You suddenly go, oh, gosh, my body, you know, I, I, I'm relaxed. I've let go of a lot of stuff as well as doing the deep trans work to actually heal resolve uh, and sort out those underpinning things that have been bothering you yeah no absolutely so would your support differ later on in the process if it wasn't initially on separation if they were further down the line how would how would that I think, initially, I think initially in separation people are upset and so it can be that you're working with one, well, both people might be guilty or hurt or devastated. So sometimes initially, it's almost like dealing with somebody in the aftermath of a natural physical death, because the grief process can be just as devastating. So when somebody comes in the early stages, it might be that we are together working on helping somebody get through. You know, they're going to see the lawyer on a regular basis. The other person might not be replying to letters. They might not be getting the answers that they need. They may be taking an inordinate amount of time to get the financial support coming through. So that part of the process can sometimes simply be about helping that person keep going. And that can be a huge part of of my work that I do that we're not, all we're doing is that maintenance, that survival, that getting through, that helping to cope. And that can be a huge part of what I do in the early stages. When further down the line, if somebody's coming to see me, then we might be working with what actually did go wrong? What went on? Where, where did that disparity go? What's your bit that you need to own of this? Did you stop communicating? Were you communicating inappropriately? Did you find yourself just being... I mean, sometimes I've had couples where he's not spoken for 15 years because he knows that if he speaks... She's going to jump on him or say, no, I don't agree or whatever. And, and, and I've had couples who've done that, a few, quite a few couples where one of them has done that for a long time. And so 
he's got to own that he has to find his voice or a better way of communicating. She's got to learn that if she wants to have a partner, she's got to learn a more civilized way of of interacting with somebody, a more respectful way. Don't be psychic. Don't second guess your partner. So that type of example can be a pattern in any relationship and both sides, whoever they are, have got to own their part in the process. And it might not be a 50-50, it might be a 70-30, but either way, this, I mean, Eleanor Roosevelt, I love this little saying, Eleanor Roosevelt said, we teach people how to treat us. And when we teach people how to treat us, what that means is that we are tacitly, even if we're not speaking, we're giving somebody permission to, to speak to us. If we're not reacting, we're, we're, we're giving permission for it to continue or we're saying, okay, whatever. And we might be saying, oh, whatever, with a deadpan face or two fingers up or something. But at the end of the day, it, there's that whole thing about just letting it go on. And, and sometimes we have to say, actually, if I want to have an adult relationship, I can't continue like this. Yeah, no, that makes uh, that makes complete sense. Um, thank you, Susan. Is there anything that uh, you think I should have asked you about this area of um, separation? That I haven't already that we haven't already talked about today. I think not particularly. I think it. I think any experience. I, I'm a big believer in any experience. It, it is is valued. Is valuable. So whatever's going on in our lives, whatever's happening in our relationships, whatever processes we're going through, a bad relationship can teach us about negotiation. Can teach us about respect. Can teach us about listening and replying. Can teach us about participating. Can teach us about what we need to learn from this and perhaps becoming a bit more independent. And that can be, that can be shocking and alarming and fearful and exhilarating at the same time. And so starting a new, starting again can be the beginning of a new phase of your life. So don't treat it as an ending, but say, okay, I'm sorry it's happened. I grieve for that process, but actually it taught me to love. It taught me to care for somebody else. And now I'm ready to move on into a new phase of my life. I think that's a perfect way to end today. Thank you ever so much for joining me, Susan. It's been lovely chatting to you. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Smart Divorce podcast. If you'd like details of our guests today or of myself so you can get in touch, please check out the programme notes. Many thanks. See you again soon.